Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, what a great song to get us uh, started today. Jesus, worthy of the name. My name is still Tag Wolverton. It was before it is now. And I am the discipleship pastor here. Glad to be with you uh, during this 4th of July weekend. And today, as I said, we're going to be continuing in our series called What We Believe. Now, uh, in case you've missed it, go back, like I said, on the, uh, the sermon archive, gatewaybc.com, because what we're doing is we're kind of working through foundational truths of Christianity. So we've talked about the Bible. We've talked about the idea of God, the Father. Um, and to get us started today, where, where we're headed, um, I want us to start by thinking of an experience that I'm pretty sure is universal for all of us, Right? It's not, a, it's not a big thing, not, not getting really deep here at the beginning. But do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about school friends? Do you remember growing up and you had school friends, right? These were these friends that, uh, you know, you hung out with, you did lunch with, uh, you were connected to them because you did classes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but the relationship kind of never went outside of school, right? So it was good. It wasn't anything tragic or anything. It was fine, but you just kind of, that was where you knew them. And, you know, when school let out, you had other stuff, you know, I was riding bikes, whatever. It's Indiana. What else are you going to do? Um, you know, and it never kind of translated out. And then we get older and, uh, we, we end up with work friends. Like some of you right now, you've got people that, you know, that's from work and it's not bad. I mean, but it just never kind of goes anywhere. So you hang out, you get coffee, you're, you're in the break room together. You know, it's helpful. It's fun. Like, you know, I used to shoot rubber bands over the cubicle at my work friends. And maybe that's why they never wanted to do anything else with me. But all that to say, it's kind of this, this limited relationship, but it's okay. Um, maybe some of you like me, we've got uh, family friends, you know, that when you go home, like you may see them because like they're buddies with your parents or did you ever have like where your family, the parents were, were friends, but then with the other kids, you're like, I mean, you know, well, you know, I'm glad our parents like each other, but you know, right? So it never kind of gets out of that, that kind of annual Christmas thing, or, you know, you see them at weddings or whatever it is. Now I'm bringing all this up because a part, a part of this leads to some very weird times, Right? where you end up bumping into one of these people somewhere outside of where you normally see them. And when you do, for me anyway, it's like my brain cannot place them. Have you ever had that happen? Like you're there at the restaurant and the host or the hostess is there and they're saying, hey, we'll hang out. And you realize that like two people over from you is this person that you think you know, you should know, but there's this like weird, like, wait, hold on, what? And you can tell that they kind of know you and it's strange or you're at the wedding, you know, and you're doing what I do normally, which is do that awkward kind of shuffling dance, you know, when you're supposed to be dancing. And you look over and you see that other person who's kind of doing the same awkward uh, shuffling dance around the floor and your eyes connect. You're like, wait a minute. I, wait, how, how do I know? How do I know? I know you from somewhere, right? And you have that moment where you either kind of go back to the punch bowl or you, you try to try to figure it out. 
And in that moment, you realize, man, I, I don't, I mean, I kind of know this person. I don't really know. For me, I can tell you the first time this happened. Um, if you work with small kids, you probably uh, will have experienced this as well. So I was with my mom. We're in the grocery store. I'm in elementary school, right? And we're in the grocery store. And we come around a corner. And there is Mrs. Broderick. And I am like, what? she's a teacher. Like, what is she doing here? Like, I thought she just like lived at the school. Like that was all she did. The world starts shifting. I'm kind of sliding. I remember grabbing my mom and go, mom, that's Mrs. Broderick. And she's like, well, yeah, I mean, she has to eat. I'm like, what, what is she doing here? You know? And I'm like, Hey, like I, maybe I'm alone in that. It's funny. You know, if you work with little kids or you work with students, um, this also happens when you're the adult. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone somewhere, and I, I used to work with uh, middle school and high school students. I'd walk down an aisle, and I, you know, I'd pass a family or something. On the other side of the aisle, you'd hear this little kid go, Mom, that was that guy, right? And you're like, I know. I know what he's doing. It's freaking him out right now, I can tell. <clears throat> because we, we get used to thinking about people in a certain way, in a certain environment. And then when we see them in a different light, we realize we don't really know that much about them, right? We have this kind of one-dimensional, limited understanding of them. And the reason we're going there is because I think sometimes that's where we end up with Jesus, honestly. Uh, This morning as we're continuing on, so we're going to be talking about Jesus, who he is, right? And I think a lot of us spend our time kind of knowing one facet or one side of Jesus, uh, maybe because of an experience or, or we've kind of bumped up against him, but we've never really engaged with the entirety of who he is, right? But what I want to say is that, that, that that experience that we have of Jesus, if we stay stuck in that, it's going to be extremely limiting to really knowing who he is, Right? Because that understanding that we have or that we just picked up kind of colors what we think of him. Now, in our culture today, I would say there are a couple different just general things that we could say. One is that our culture today, typically, many people have a view of Jesus as kind of this loving, kind of semi-hippie, spiritual guru, you know, that's all about you and your life and friendship and all that kind of stuff, right? Especially uh, middle-aged and younger generations. Actually, this showed up. There's a, the largest study that was ever done um, in the U.S. Of, of what people think about God, what they think about Jesus. Uh, tens of thousands of people. And the researchers uh, did all this research and then summed it up by saying this. that In their, in their, in their uh, study, what they found was that the majority of people they talked to had a view of God that they said could be summed up as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now that sounds big, but you know what it means. Moralistic, in other words, God is concerned, Jesus is concerned um, with us doing good things, being nice, being loving, sharing, not lying, all of that. It's therapeutic in that he's interested in us having a good self-image, right? Being centered in who we are, being true to ourselves, being grounded in that. And that the universe, the deism part, is basically set up, right, 
but it runs kind of like a watch. There's not a whole lot of interaction. There's not a, a whole lot of involvement, even though God has set it up, which is why the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, which by the way, the Bible doesn't say that, but that's a part of this, right? It's a part of this study. And that's not a complete picture of Jesus or God at all. And that's one side of the coin. Then on another side of the coin, uh, we've all talked to folks, or maybe this has been our experience, where people are terrified of Jesus because they see him as some type of, you know, this merciless uh, tyrant who's mostly looking to ruin their lives by imposing, you know, ridiculous rules and just wants to come in, control everything. But that's not really who Jesus is either. But for those folks, it's all they know. So today, the goal during our time together is to move past these one side, these one dimensional understandings of Jesus to see him for who he really is, how he revealed himself. Because here's the deal. I believe that when we see Jesus for who he really is, our lives will be changed. When we see Jesus for who he really is, our lives will be changed. And so we want to see how he revealed himself. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 5. Let me set the scene for a little bit. So Jesus has just begun his public ministry. And at the beginning of the chapter, we see that he calls his followers, his disciples, right? And he does it in a very cool way. Um, you know, Jewish rabbis, teachers would assemble disciples, but Jesus does it by creating this miraculous catch of fish for these guys, right? To let them see that he's something different. The chapter moves on. Then we see uh, that Jesus uh, goes on to heal a man from leprosy using just his words. And of course that starts the rumor mill. So if you're, you're following along, look in Luke chapter five, verse 15. And it says it this way. But the news about him, Jesus, spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and would pray. So there's this rhythm of healing, this rhythm of being present with people, and then he would go to pray. And then in Luke uh, uh, 5, 17, Jesus is teaching again, and notice he shows up. So one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. So they're coming to investigate what he's doing, right? Which makes total sense. They don't know what's going on. They want to find out. This is the early days. They're, they're hearing all these things. And look at what the last part of that verse says. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. So let's stop there for just a moment. So what does this tell us about the real Jesus? What this tells us is that we need to recognize Jesus' power. Jesus has power that is miraculous, that is amazing, that is unique, right? Now, we said that he'd already done healings. I mean, think about what a miracle really is, what's really happening with all we know of the universe and how we know it's knit together. Isn't a miracle going kind of behind the scenes into the fabric of our existence and reworking things that are supposed to be constants, right? Bending them. That's why we call them supernatural events, right? It's not natural. It's not a part of the natural created world. It's beyond that. And the question is, okay, so who has the ability to manipulate that? Well, the one who created it, right? The one who made it. And Jesus demonstrated this power 
multiple times, multiple, multiple, multiple times in front of different groups of people, some who desperately wanted it to not be true. They desperately wanted to deny that he could do this, but they, they couldn't. He's not some ordinary man, right? He has true power that was undeniable. Um, I'm just gonna, just gonna tell you about a couple of these. One in Matthew 12, this is one of my favorite examples of this because of what it's, is in between the lines. So there's a, a man who is blind and mute. Jesus heals him with his words. The man begins to see and speak. And the response of the unhappy religious leaders is this. When the Pharisees heard about this, they said, well, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, notice what they don't say. Well, this didn't happen. This guy had been faking since birth. There's no way. No, they don't say that. What they say is, well, obviously he was physically healed, but it couldn't have been through Jesus. Ramps up even later on in his ministry when uh, Jesus brings back his friend Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for three days, wrapped up in embalming spices, laying in a cold tomb, And Jesus goes to the tomb with his words, Lazarus come out. Lazarus literally shuffles out because he's been wrapped in uh, linen and spices, uh, you know, to kind of keep everything smelling decent. But look at the response of the religious leaders after Jesus does this. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin, the rulers, and said, what are we going to do since this man does so many signs? If we let him continue in this way, Everyone will believe in him. Why were they terrified? Because it was undeniable. Like here's this guy, the whole village had buried him. And now he's walking around, sitting down, drinking coffee, eating olives. I don't know what they did, but hard to deny, right? Hard to deny. And of course, these were all prequels to Jesus's greatest act of power, which was coming back to life after his own death that he predicted. This is in Mark chapter eight. Jesus began to teach his disciples that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, to be killed and rise after three days. And after that resurrection, he was seen by a ton of people. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, was at the time of that writing. So how could Jesus do this? Well, he's obviously not a man right? He has power. In uh, the book of Colossians, the Bible tells us how Jesus had mastery like this. It says, this is Colossians 1:15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. Jesus is woven into the very fabric of creation as the one that holds it all together. I said there were more uh, miracles in the New Testament. There are actually 37 recorded miracles of Jesus Now, those were recorded in documents, the Gospels, that were distributed probably within 30 to 50 years of their happening, okay? A couple of them were direct 
reports from the guys who had been with Jesus. Okay, that would be Matthew and John. Uh, one of them was a report given by Peter to Mark. That's the Gospel of Mark. And one part is a, a two-part document that was researched by a physician. That would be uh, Luke. And if you're wondering, well, you know, 30 to 50 years, that's kind of, that's kind of late for people to be, be tracking along with this stuff. I mean, couldn't something have happened? Well, here's my question. Do you remember what you were doing in the 70s and the 80s? Because I do. Because I was alive, right? And the people that read these reports when they first came out were alive as well. John 21, the, the gospel writer John also says this, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world could contain the books that could be written. So where do we start? First, we start with recognizing that Jesus has power, unlike anything else that has ever been seen. Let's continue on in our story though. Luke 5, uh, picking it back up in verse 18. So just then some men came, this is Jesus, he's teaching, carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before Jesus, but since they couldn't find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Now seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Is that what those guys were looking for? I don't really think so, right? I don't really think so. If that seems strange to you, I mean, like Jesus, you're going, okay, well, I see that you have power over creation, but power to fix our, our broken relationship with God, that's what sin is. It's, we've done things that, that because God is holy that uh, he can't be a part of, and it separates us. And Jesus says to this guy, hey, would you like me to forgive your sins? We're not the only ones who thought it was strange the guys that were there, the teachers in uh, verse 21, they began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which I think is crazy. Like, hey, well, you can, Jesus, you can do all the physical healings you want to do. Like this other thing, like, now that's God's stuff. You know, don't go over there. We've got this whole system to take care of that. Verse 22, but perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? <laughs> Imagine the room, put yourself in the room. Do you think Jesus had to be a mind reader to hear those guys? I don't think so, right? Why? Because they're mad. They're talking, the grumbles, the everything's just rolling around like, right? I think they were loud and indignant. They wanted Jesus to know you've crossed a line. And look at his response. This is in verse 23. He says, so, hey, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, get up and walk. But so you may know the son of man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralyzed man. I tell you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Immediately he got up before them. It's crazy. Picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God, filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. This man was healed as proof that Jesus could do what he said, Right? So the second thing we, we need to understand about who Jesus really is, is that we can rely on Jesus to restore us to God. I like that Jesus says, hey guys, which one's harder? Ah, let me just do both. Let me just do both, right? Undeniable proof. See, the people in that house, the reason they responded like that was because they understood what our culture today tends to shy away from. That with this miracle, Jesus is claiming equality with God. 
and he proved it. And this goes back to what Pastor Don talked about last week. This idea of the Trinity, that mystery where there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all one divine essence in three persons. Jesus is God. And this wasn't some kind of fluke. Um, Jesus made multiple claims to equality with God. Okay. Let me just read these to you. First, he claimed he would be the one to judge the world at the end of time. He claimed he should be honored as much as God. He claimed he could give eternal life to people. He claimed that seeing him was the same as seeing God. He claimed that knowing him was the same as knowing God. He claimed he could forgive sins. He accepted other people's worship. He claimed titles that were only God's. He claimed that he and God were one and the same. He claimed he'd been with God in heaven, shared divine glory with God. He claimed that he could hear and answer prayers. After the resurrection, he claimed he was able to be everywhere at once for all time. You know, sometimes I'll talk to folks and they'll go, well, you know, Jesus, this whole Messiah thing, that came afterwards. He never really claimed that. I mean, he was just about love and, you know, just be nice to other people. It's like, oh no. This is the real Jesus, right? This is who Jesus really is because he is interested in restoring our relationship with God. The relationship that God has wanted really ever since the Garden of Eden. And we'll talk about that more in a, in a couple of weeks. This is what Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples Hey, your hearts must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. So if I go away and get that ready, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Next four says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders, but he has become essential, the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. When he was describing himself to Nicodemus, Jesus said this, so God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, talking about himself, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we'll realize that we can place our trust in him and follow him so that he can restore us to God. As Jesus said in another place, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. So before we finish up, uh, I want to go back and pick up one thing that we just kind of read through. Look at the end of our passage, verse 25 in Luke. When we meet Jesus, our lives will be changed. Look at what happens. So verse 25, immediately he, the paralyzed, sorry, formerly paralyzed man, got up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen incredible things today. Because when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we recognize his power, when we rely on him to restore us to God, number three, we will respond by giving God glory. It is natural. It is automatic. It is a part of the change that Jesus makes in us. I mean, do you think the paralyzed man continued to take his mat around with him? No. Did he need the guys anymore to... Stick up for him? No, no. Did the people ever forget what they saw in that room? Would you have forgotten? No, right? Forever changed by being with Jesus. 
The Bible says it in Psalms like this, but I, I trust in your unfailing love. And because of that, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. When we experience Jesus, we see the goodness of God. It doesn't mean that we always do everything perfectly, of course, but I think our lives will always be lived in pursuit of Jesus. And we move past this one-dimensional, this one-sided, this simplistic and incomplete understanding because we'll see him for who he really is. So let's go back to uh, where we started. Have you ever known somebody like I was talking about where you kind of only know them through like one way, like school friends or family or work, whatever. Have you ever known anybody like that? And then actually, for whatever reason, started to grow in a relationship with them? Like and realize how much more was there? And it was funny because I was thinking this through and this week actually... <clears throat> yeah, we were talking to a teenager about this, but last month, Susan and I celebrated 27 years of marriage because we got married when we were five, you know, so I'm, I'm 32 now. I'm fine with that. It was fine. It was good. It's Indiana. What do you say? I got to stop making Indiana jokes. I'll get letters. Anyway, so, you know, we were celebrating this and this teenager, she was like, well, how, how did y'all meet? Like, how did, how did you guys, you know, end up getting married? You know how our story started? Our story started like this. Well, actually, we were just church friends because we didn't go to high school together. We never connected anywhere else. But we got to know each other. And through that, then our relationship developed. See, every relationship has to start somewhere. I don't know what your experience has been with Jesus. I don't know what you're familiar with. I don't know what you've been taught, what you've been told. But here's what I'm saying this morning. Get to know him for who he really is so he can change your life, right? Forever, alter it forever. Maybe you realize now that you, you didn't know that Jesus claimed all this, that you didn't know that he actually worked all of these things, that you didn't know that he came to restore us in our relationship with God, with joy and peace. What I would say, man, just pray right now. Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to know you for who you really are. Please help me. I mean, talk to people you know where you see that their lives have been changed. I mean, grab a staff person up here. If it's too weird for you to go, you know, pull on someone, send that text, you know, Gateway Connect to 474747 so that you can, you can find out more about Jesus and who he really is. I love this. The people saw things that inspired them. They said, we have seen incredible things. Do you want to see God do astonishing things in your life? Get to know Jesus for who he really is. And that, I promise you, will be your experience. Let's pray.